Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Australian Muscle Car Magazine is one of the most respected voices in motoring media. There's been over 140 issues and thousands of stories published in the last 22 years, from the amazing muscle car machines of the past to the present, and the stars that steered and built them. AMC has something for everyone. Delve into the heritage of homegrown high performance now at musclecarmag.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hey everybody, great to have you with us. It is the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Repco. It is our final episode of 2021. I'm feeling very festive. I'm feeling very fat after Christmas Day. Will, how are you feeling? Um, I'm ready for 2022. Roll me away Let's and go. keep me away Damn. from the fridge. That is absolutely <laughs> where we're at right now. Last week we had some Q&A. This week, more Q&A, because we have lots of Qs that we need to give A's to. Correct. And the questions roll in all year, whether it's email, socials, website. We get it coming in from everywhere. We get people stopping us at racetracks with questions as well. So we've thought, well, we've got more mail. So let's deal with more mail, because there's yes. some really interesting topics that come up. And after all, what is V8 Sleuth built on with? The histories of cars. It's sleuthing V8s. So... That's what we're going to do on this one. We've got lots of questions from lots of our followers and listeners and fans as to what happened to some of the cars. So I thought we should do some actual sleuthing on this one. And there's a bunch of questions. So let's bowl in straight up. Michael Sharp first. What's the history of the Nick Percat Adelaide 500 winner? Was it an X888 car and where is it now? Well, Michael, it was indeed a 888-built car. It was one of the suite of... The um, car of the future cars. They built a built million it. of them. Yeah, <laughs> they, they were supplying quite a few teams, so they had to build quite a few new cars for the 2013 season. This is one of the two that went to Techno Autosports. This car was actually Jonathan Webb's car throughout the 2013 season. So you remember that police livery that he ran at the start of the year? Yeah, the test day, and then yeah. I think at Adelaide as well with the 60Ks and the – was it 40Ks, actually, wasn't it? It was starting to yeah. promote the 40-kilometre zones in, in New South Wales, and it had a bit of police – it reminded me a bit of the John Faulkner. Oh, that's exactly what I was about to yeah. say. Yeah, yeah. Um, this car carried a bit of Tour de Cure sponsorship, and then a bit of um, a bit of Daryl Lee. Lee at the end of the year. And Webby got this car on the podium at Homebush, which everyone forgets and at I the end of the year. He and Mark Lieb drove it in the endurance races. The mm. German Porsche uh, factory driver. So remember though that Techno went back to one car for fourteen. Yes, for Shane Van Gisbergen. So this one stayed as a spare. I think they might have even um, wheeled it around in Van Gisbergen livery as a show car on occasion from the, Makes sense. the back of my memory. Um, and then Lucas Dumbrell's team got a ha- their hands on it in 15 because Nick had a crash at Albert Park. I think, wasn't was he, he in the, the start line? The, one Ambrose, the Ambrose start line shunt? Yeah. yeah. When they were doing the rolling starts. Mm. And that and the car, back half of the grid left before the front half. Yeah, which didn't yeah. work out too well. And I think the next weekend, Tasmania was either the next weekend or the weekend after. Anyway, it was a short turnaround. And the faster option was to acquire another car. And that was this car that they purchased from uh, Techno, which became Nick Perkett's 222 car for the rest of 20, 
uh, 15. At least until he um, got sick towards the end of the year oh, with the blood yeah, poisoning that's from right. the Gold Coast. So he would have driven that car with Ollie Gavin yep. in the Enduros. Yep. And then it was after – it was the Gold Coast that cooked him. Yeah. He was running pretty well for a top podium on target, podium top five. And then I think it went on to seven cylinders and it just about gassed him yeah. virtually. Um, so, anyway, he, he got that car – then, of course, in 16, he wins the Adelaide 500. Remember that it had SP Tools livery? Yeah. That uh, it looked a bit like the HRT cars of the time? Yeah, like that except orange, a slightly different shade. On the TVs, it was really hard to tell if as well. If you weren't really paying attention and you just glanced at TV, you'd have swore it was Garth Tander or James Courtney. Probably yeah. James Courtney because he was double two, not triple two. Of course, Nick on the Saturday also got a fair bit of TV time when the bonnet flew up as he left the pits for the formation lap oh, that's and right. smashed the screen and put him out of that race. Didn't that weekend turn around from sure that did. to what happened on the Sunday, splashed his way through, won the Clips for 500. Uh, Adelaide boy, perfect story. Hard to believe it's what coming up early 2022, six years ago, which is yeah. kind of scary. Everyone forgets, though, he put that car on the podium at Bathurst with Cam sure McConville with that Adelaide 500 livery. Isn't that funny how the world has changed in that the Adelaide 500 was supporting cars back then, promoting the event yeah. that in the, I guess, the year or two after that, that stands very much changed. Yeah. <laughs> but that put McConville on the podium for the sixth time in his career. So he's equal with... Brad Jones and Warren Luff now for most podiums without a win. So that was probably his most unlikely Bathurst podium, and they nailed it. I am. It was a. Um, there were a few people. There were a couple of people on that podium that were very happy to be in the positions they were in that day. Twenty sixteen. That was a weird one, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that, that was one where not winning. Per, exactly. That was the one where Percat was fourth across the line, but third on the day. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Now, the bit that Michael wants to know: where is it now? Last I heard, it's with Lucas Dumbrell still as far as I'm aware. Um, I think there have been some moves over the time to maybe put it back to the Nick Perkat livery, and, and that would make sense. That Adelaide oh, 500 win is the, the prime livery of it. I mean, it had a few different interesting liveries, but that's I had the quite a few different liveries that year that were really cool, but well, yeah. Plain black in Townsville? Yeah. Oh, that was, oh, that was <laughs> no, before, yeah. wasn't it? Uh, well, don't forget, too, Jack Perkins raced that car at the end of 15 in New Z- uh, Sydney mm. and New Zealand. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. he filled in and it was PD d- filled in, Paul Umbrell. At short at notice. PI. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Nick started, I think, practice and then had to step out because he was just not well. If you haven't heard that, um, Nick Perkett, we did an episode with him, was it 2019? That was last, last year, year 2020, year. yeah. Um, have a listen to it because he talks about what happened and how it all unfolded. It's a really interesting chat. Uh, and clearly a bit has happened with Nick Perkett since we yes. did that chat. <laughs> He's off to Walkinshaw and Drew United next year. So, Michael, I hope that helps you with knowing what happened to Nick's Adelaide 500 winner. Carl Phillips with a question. Uh, this one, I haven't been able to delve fully, but I've got a pretty good candidate. I also have a pretty good candidate All right, you've probably question. beaten me here. But what chassis done the least amount of laps before being written off? Now, what? written off is a term that means destroyed, never coming back, chopped up, gone. But yes. lots of these cars that we say written off yeah. find their way back to racetracks or indeed to collections or workshops. So what have you got? What springs to mind? So I have a factory Holden, mm-hmm. Tirana, mm-hmm. as raced by Peter Brock. Mm-hmm. The car, the, the A9X hatch that he started the 78 season with, which was brand new at the start of that year. Mm-hmm. One at Simmons Plains, yep. one at Oran Park, yep. led every lap in both, and then got shunted into oblivion by John Harvey when he caught the throttle in practice at Amaru. In practice. 
Two races, two wins, a pole, led all 75 laps it completed in. Okay, so I'm going for the supercar era. Yes. HRT, so fellow factory Holden line, lineage, lineage, mm-hmm. lineage, lineage. lineage. Yep. It's been a long year. My words won't work. <laughs> so Craig Lowndes' Calder Park Barrel Roll Commodore was freshy oh, course, for yeah. Sandown in 1999. Brand spanking new. Did three races at Sandown, three races at the inaugural Queensland Raceway Round. Yep. One race at Calder and then went over on its head at the start About of race 400 two. 400 metres yeah, into race yeah, two. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't count as a lap, though. I'm not adding no, that on. No, no. Total racing laps 125. Yep. So for the supercar era, I think that's pretty hard to beat. Oh, in terms I would think of so, surely. Least amount of laps. And of course, the funny thing is, it's seriously done millions of laps when it was reborn <laughs> as the <laughs> yeah. PR2 ride car for HRT that I think they bowled that out in about 2000 and or somewhere about there, and that thing ran for a couple of years and did piles of days at tracks around the country. Some of our listeners probably went for a ride in it. Unsuspectingly went for a ride in the car that Leon's barrel rolled. I went for a ride in it. Oh. Yeah, I was in the front seat with Scaife one day at Eastern Creek, so that must have been 04, I think. Mm. But I think I've told this before. I didn't know that we were coming. So you come around to one, two, the right-hander at three, up over the hill where the tunnel runs underneath, but I didn't know for the ride day. We were going short track. <laughs> I'm thinking, why? Trick you know, you have players. that sudden horrible panic moment of uh, what I'm seeing and feeling here is wrong and I don't quite understand. And this will happen in about a millisecond. Yeah. He, he's going on to the wrong side of the why road. He's staying on, hard on the throttle. Why are we on the right-hand side of the road coming down the hill? Mm. This thing's not going to make it round. Uh, oh, right. Okay, we're turning left and we're cutting across the little link road and mm. popping out the other side. So that was my little <laughs> moment of worry uh, with Scafie at Eastern Creek. Back in the day, less um, worrying than the moment Craig had in the same car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I would. I'll keep mine and just as much control. Yeah, yeah I'm not <laughs> swapping. I'm not swapping. It didn't work so well on its roof, just quite. No. Next question, Tim Wittemans. Which team has built the most supercar chassis? Ooh, it's close. I reckon it's a lot closer than anyone might think. Mm. Um, but when he says supercar, I've sort of. I mean, there, there's a few mobs that transcend category eras. So obviously, mm. Larry Perkins. Started building Group A Commodores that mm-hmm. became Group A V8 touring cars slash V8 supercars type thing. So yep. uh, they built what fifty cars yes. all up. So not all of them were supercars, but that's the volume of work. Which they're all touring cars leading into the supercars era. Yeah. So yeah, from one constructor, that's a lot of hardware. That's mm. and of course it wasn't all for themselves. A lot of them were customer cars. Yep. And it's a good point that. Um, if you don't have a copy of the Perkins Engineering Car History book, we don't have any left to sell. Mm. But that's the bad news. When there's bad news, there is always good news, Will. Yes. The good news is that the National Motor Racing Museum at Mount Panorama does have stock of the book. They have copies left. If you don't have one, uh, jump on their Facebook page or give them a call. Their details are on the Museum Bathurst website, and you can get yourself one, and you won't miss out. Happy days. Woohoo. Um, triple eight. They've punched out lots of cars. So their first one they built was Chassis 7. Yep. And the last one that they've built is the Camaro prototype. That's 56. So- Because they, they, f- they followed the original Briggs numbering sequence, yeah, didn't so they? They didn't restart. Yeah. So the two cars they had when they first started racing and took over triple uh, took over Briggs mm. at the end of 03 were 5 and 6. Yep. So then the first 888 built car for 04 was Chassis 7 and so on and so forth. So And they didn't skip 13. They called it 12A. <laughs> yes. So there's one for all the way through. Some of them are customer cars. So you do the sums there. They're at about 49.50, 
given yeah. that they'll build a couple of new ones, obviously, for, for Gen 3 and not for themselves. They'll build a few more for mm. for other people. And HRT and Walkinshaws, they're a bit like Perkins in that they started with Group A cars, and but it's just over 50 that they've yeah. punched out across the different iterations when Tom owned it, when Tom didn't, when Scaife owned it, when they built cars for other teams, you know, they built chassis for Brad Jones Racing and they did HSV dealer team. and yeah. But it's a pretty big vo- – if you just take those three teams, that's over 150 cars. It's mm. amazing. And from the Ford side of the fence, I'd imagine DJR, DJR probably is not far off that total number either, off we, 50. We did the book last year, didn't we? We did. We, we don't remember off the top of our heads, but – from memory, I think it was 46 when we did the book and there was a couple more that have since been added. And they've built two new ones for this year, which yeah. actually answers the question from a little bit later on uh, <laughs> in this podcast. But yes. nevertheless, uh, Nick McRae, how many Car of the Future chassis have been built and how many have been scrapped due to damage? We have had this question before and actually I think um, I think it's one less than there was that time because as we've recently had on the V8 Sleuth website, um, DJR TP01 is coming back. Yeah, the uh, Scott Pye Bathurst crash from 2015. Also, you know, which was the Xbox car that Marcus Ambrose was co-driving that he drove at Sydney Olympic Park at hmm. the, the return for him in 2014. So, yeah, that car has been sidelined, but it was never cut up and destroyed. It was deemed not to be raced again. Yes. But as you can read on our website uh, from just before Christmas, it's going to New Zealand and repairs have been made in Australia and it's going to be outfitted through 2022 of course, they're waiting for an engine to come out of the pool of current engines. In Gen 3, it's an all-new engine. So mm. all of this current engine stock is going to be up for grabs, not just from Super 2 teams, but from collectors and other people with cars who want the right bit engine-wise yes. to, to put in their car. But last count, 104 Car of the Futures, well, Gen 2 slash Gen 3, uh, Gen, Gen 1, Gen 2 cars is what I mean, yeah. from 2013 to now. Yes, pretty sizable number. And yeah, so that's Commodores, VFs, ZBs, yeah. Falcons, Mustangs, Nissans, Mercs and Volvos. Yes. And not too many of them have been completely scrapped, written off, never to return. There's obviously the Chas Mostert 2015 Bathurst car. that We saved it. Yes. That, that's now sitting at the National Motor Racing Museum at Bathurst. Um, there's the car that Lee Holdsworth crashed at Hidden Valley in 2016. That yeah. car... The bars were quite bad in that after Lee's accident. Of course, he was unfortunately hurt in it. It's still around, though. The, mm. the remnants of it are still there, which was the first Triple Eight Car of the Future prototype chassis. So, mm. But it, it is still around. It hasn't been chopped up and discarded into landfill somewhere all melted down. It's still what's left of it is still yes. there, though. And you remember that um, all, that weekend of almighty crashes at Simmons Plains mm. in 2017? Mm. Macca Jones wrote off uh, one of the BJR cars in the Super 2 race. And Rick Kelly wrote off an Ultima in the main game race on the Saturday. That's right. I'd, I'd forgotten about the Rick Kelly Ultima. Yeah, he I'm got not sure very what... hard hit. I think it was maybe 006. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah. But uh, they Rick has kept an Ultima. It's not that one. It's the one <laughs> no, that he finished he in when yeah. they finished their Nissan era. Uh, and Todd's kept one as well. But I don't know what happened. Of that. I think that chassis was sitting around mm. when last I asked the team. We obviously need to do a bit of a birthday refresh for the new year with who's got what, where, when, where, and how. When, where, and how. And we'll be in touch with all the teams, so we'll be able to get a bit of that. But the other one, remember Todd Hazelwood going mm. over on his head down at Sandown in the Cool Drive Tim Blanchard car. That car, which we did a story about too some time ago, it's now a sim. Tony Wood with the engineer at BJR, and I saw him at Bathurst only what a couple of weeks ago. 
And he said, yeah, yeah, it's all done. I'll send you some photos. So we'll have to catch up with him and see how it looks now because it was looking pretty cool when last we, we saw it. But, I mean, off the question, how many have been scrapped due to damage? Scrapped as in stopped racing, yeah, mm. quite a few, but chopped up, scrapped, gone forever, none really. Even no. that Jason Bright rollover BAC car, uh, BOC car from Adelaide, yeah, that that's, was rebirth. I mean, yeah. not a lot of the bars in it then are in it now, but it is <laughs> Grandpa for all intents. Yeah, for all yeah. intents and purposes, it is the the same chassis. So, 104 at last count. I think the Chas Most at Walkinshaw Bathurst winning car is the the latest the build, last one. and the two DJR cars. So V8 supercars or supercars, I should say. They uh, so the teams give these cars chassis numbers, but then mm. they've had a master list number of V8 SC. 001, 002, 003, so on and so forth for yes. all of those cars. So they're going to start a new sequence for Gen 3. So those two prototypes from the top of my head are SC001 and SC002. And Triple Eight's given the Camaro a, a number in terms of what they're up to, mm. which I think is 56 off the top of my head. But uh, Nick, there are plenty still around. I reckon you might be able to pick up a couple for a cheap deal yeah. if you're looking <laughs> to make a sim or have something pretty cool to have in the man uh, shed to be able to tell people about and talk through what's this lump of metal here. I reckon well. <laughs> there's probably a couple of deals floating around there for you. Next question from Nick Pollock. Has there ever been a car that won the championship but wasn't used in a Bathurst race? That'd this was an few. interesting one. Yeah, there's, there's probably a few, but the, I could only think of two that sprung straight to my head. Mm. I mean, the early era, there's lots because the rules weren't the same exactly. across the championship and Bathurst. They were... The, ba- uh, the Bathurst Enduro was for series production, standard cars. The Australian Touring Car Championship was for improved production, hotted up Mustangs and Camaros and yeah. Porsches and all sorts of stuff. But the two that sprung to my mind were the Jim Richards Nissan HR31, the GDSR Skyline that he won, did the bulk of the work yeah. for the 1990 championship win. That was brand new for that year. And, of course, they moved to the GDR mm. before the end of the championship and they ran the GDR at Bathurst, yeah, um, yes. they, they swapped them yeah. uh, between races. Very That's sneakily, another- the car that he ended up winning the championship in and out, clinching the championship at Oran Park, ended up racing at Bathurst. Just, yeah, people didn't really know about it at the time. Yeah, there's a little bit of a swapsy swapsy there. Uh, but that Jim Richards car was brand new for that year, the HR31, so didn't get to race in the Bathurst 1000. And we talked about the Craig Lowndes rollover car earlier on. Mm. That contributed to him winning the 99 championship, but, of course didn't make it to Bathurst that year or any year after. No. Uh, Next question from Hamish O'Rourke. Were AUs and VXs in 2003 and beyond upgraded to Project Blueprint or were they still running the old setups? Now, AU Falcons, no AU Falcon was converted to BA spec to go racing. There were some that were converted for show car purposes. And later on that happened too for ride cars too. Yes. Yeah. Um, the AU did cop a front spoiler upgrade. It got a much longer. Didn't help. No, it didn't help it, <laughs> but it definitely, but it did get a longer, um, longer front splitter, which is very, very obvious when you see the two different, well, I guess three different versions of the AU front splitter. Uh, but some VX Commodores were converted to VYs. It was a really extensive thing you had to do, which I didn't fully appreciate until we did the um, we till we did the Perkins Engineering Cars book, and Jack talked me through the process mm. and showed me some photos, which appear in the book of Shat- of PE forty yeah. being converted. Just chop it. Yeah, just <laughs> entire front end. Goodbye. Anything the, that's cut there, the Larry goodbye. Bar in half. Totally. Even the Larry Bar got got yeah. cut off at the windscreen. Yeah, yeah, got absolutely sliced and diced. Yeah. So, some teams did get around it. I mean, the Golden Child 
had a, a little system installed there so they didn't do the whole cut the front off it fully mm. like other teams did because basically the suspension had changed yeah. from t- to the Ford spec double front wishbone. So hence everything had to basically go. So And then there was the new engine as well, which required different yeah, mounting points. Yeah, so there's quite HMSB8. a few. Yeah, quite a few teams that ran brand new VYs straight up, but there was a few that ended up starting with VXs, converting them to VYs. Uh, Paul Morris's mob up in Queensland through uh, Ryan McLeod Racer Industries too, I think, they had a conversion kit and they mm. did a few of those cars um, over the journey to, to VY them from from VX. So, uh, yeah, and the AUs were not allowed under the rules to – you couldn't reskin one as a BA, but there were a few. One of the ex-Glen Seton cars became a BA ride car, um, a DJR, DJR car also was converted to yeah, BA Yeah, they repaneled work. one of those as well because they didn't have a BA in the museum. So yeah. that was a way to turn an AU into a BA. I think it was First Rock and VA Telecom and yeah. all that sort of stuff as well. And there's also a super cheap uh, Steve Ellery AU that's just recently been auctioned off and the new new owner's been in touch with me. It had BA panels on it too from use as a ride car later on. So that owner's going to uh, aim to restore that backwards uh, and retro-convert it to, to AU. So I think there's a few of the people out there who have got some of those cars who thought, that's a big project, mm. but for the value of the car to have it how it raced yeah. is better than how it never raced and it just was a ride car. So probably the right call. Makes sense. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Next question from Rod Binding. Love a bit of a yarn on the Hart Lawrence plain white Commodore from around Bathurst 96. It withdrew early and we passed it leaving town on a car trailer. <laughs> absolute budget operation, that one. And he's absolutely right because that is why they withdrew early. If you have, if you have the great race book from that era, it details that they just plain ran out of cash. If you took a photo of that car on track, well done. Yes. Because yeah. I think it did four laps in Wednesday practice. Michael Hart, Peter Lawrence, ex-HRT Commodore that – uh, once a, that was actually, it was already five years old. That was the yeah. original VN HRT Commodore that Win Percy raced in the Touring Car Championship in '91. Um, it, it it had a few crashes along its way. It had a few lives. I think Thomas Mazira raced as well. That's the car that he had the big shunt in up at Lakeside, off the top of my head. Oh, um, yes, in the dash. 015 yeah. with um, oh in the '94 when, when he clipped John Bow. John Bow. He was limping out the other side of the track. So it was plain. Virgin White for Bathurst 96. Apart from their names, the number, the AMP Bathurst 1000 sticker. That was it. I don't think it really had anything else on it, and it no. did an engine within a case of a couple of laps back in the day when you could do Wednesday practice, but that was them done and dusted. And we managed to find one single photo through Chevron, the great race book publishers, to put in our Holden at Bathurst car book we did a few years ago <laughs> because we were a bit short on the ground for finding anything yeah. of that car. But, yeah, that was that was a real privateer effort. That was just a case of two guys who were committed to going and got a car and put it together with a bunch of parts and unfortunately it let them down. And but there was a happy a ending to the story, though, because they did come back the next year. 
And they did get a run. Yes. And they lasted much longer. I think they were running at the finish. They got but to not the race for a start. Yeah, that was a, <laughs> that was a good yeah. start. And that was actually the Terry Wyhoon. Remember the yellow Commodore he started in the Konica series in when it was white? Oh, uh, yes. That's yeah, that yeah. car. He, he bought it to, when NASCAR closed down. And that sort of moved him across it. Of course, he's still going as a, a team owner with Image Racing. He's a guy I want to get on the pod yes. next year. Yep. I might go for a little drive down at Coranburra. Uh, which is on the way to Phillip Island, for those who don't know, because I want to talk NASCAR with him. I want to talk yep. Oscar with him. I want to talk DVS. I want to talk about the time, and I was there, that his race car was impounded mid-weekend <laughs> at Queensland Raceway right in front of us with our TV camera. Uh, that's a story that we'll tell with him uh, when we do catch up with him. But that car, by the way, has been restored as the Craig Lowndes 016 Albert, uh, not Albert Park, what am I saying, Australian Grand Prix Adelaide 94 car. When they ran three cars. When he ran as 016. Yeah, yeah, correct, correct. Um, Adrian Fuller is a regular sleuther. He sees uh, that at Bathurst this year, Paul Boschett's car, the VE Commodore number 25, that was in Super 3 at Sydney and Bathurst, in fact. What's its history? Is it a Paul Morris Motorsports-built car? Well, yeah, it is. It's Jansen, the car that was named after Peter Jansen, the captain himself. Uh, Remember that the dudes team... They didn't give them numbers. They actually named them. Alphabetically sequenced. So the yeah. first one was A, then B, can, then can C. Can you do the list? Astro, Bam Bam, Colin, and I run out of- Daisy, Daisy. was next. Yeah, okay, go uh, E was for Earnhardt. F. Oh. Who was his mentor back in the day? Oh, Frank, of course. Gardner. Yeah, Frank Gardner. Um, F, G. Ooh, we're in trouble here. Gidget. Uh, yep, okay. Which never raced from memory. And then I was Indy. Oh, you missed one. You missed one. What comes after G? Oh, yeah, H. Um, Yeah, there was a reason I forgot about that one. Hercules. Um, Keep going. I? I was, was it Indian or Indiana? Indian. Yep, Indian. J, of course, was Jansen. Correct. Then K was Kulwicky. Yep. Was there another one after that? Yep. Oh, well, I'm out. There's three more. There's three more. Lakeside? Figures. Was one that wasn't complete. Yep. And then the triple eight cars. Oh, did they get names? They were named as well, but they were they were triple eight design chassis. They were the bits from triple eight, but from my memory, PMM bolted them together. Okay. Might have been at the triple eight workshop or at PMM, I can't remember. Uh M was for Mick, Mick Doohan. Yep. And N was Nuvolari. Uh, and that's where yes. the Atasio Nuvolari, the pre war uh Grand Prix driver. So Flying Mantuan. Mm, yeah, there you go. There's one. But, yeah, it's Jansen. So that's the car that Russell Ingle drove in 08 when he came to the dudes team. Um, James Rosenberg purchased it for Tim Slade to drive as his teammate the next year in 09. Jack Perkins had a bit of a go in it in the DVS the next year. Uh, Marcus Sukanovic had a run in it for a while. Uh, and it was going to be Zane Morse's entry point into Super 3, but before they actually did it, they got their hands on a car to go into Super 2. So, hmm. um, hence, they didn't actually use it in uh, Super 3. And uh, it's with Paul now, who's doing a bit of Super 3 in it. Very good. Hmm. Next question from Shane Jenkins. The Scotty Mac 2020 Championship Mustang, was it used this year for Will or Anton, or was it parked up? And we kind of answered this earlier. Hmm. It was indeed parked up, as Will and Anton got brand new cars for this season. So that actually raises another little sub-question, though. Mm-hmm. What car do you deem uh, in 2019 was the Scotty Mack Championship winning car? Well, the, the car su- that he won all those races in that he won at Bathurst in that he crashed on the Gold Coast or the car that he then drove that was new for the remaining rounds that he actually officially clinched the championship well, in? It goes back to what we were talking about earlier with 
Jim Richards in the 1990 championship and Craig Lowndes in the 99 championship where they both used multiple cars. The cars contributed to the championship win. So I would deem them both as championship winning cars. But the one that Scotty was driving when he clinched the championship is the second car, if you want to look at it that way. Okay, so which one are you buying as the championship winner? The car that did all the They're winning. both championship winners. Oh, you can't sit on the They're fence. both championship winners. They both contributed, but there's always one They're both championship. more carry. Okay. One I would buy the first one lifting. because that one Bathurst. Correct. Exactly right. And, and the second car is a, champion, a two-time championship winner. Let's not forget. It, that's right. But in 19, I'm going, the, I'm going the rebuilt one. Although the other thing is, though, they've chopped the back off it to fix it. So hmm. it's sort of not fully original. But anyway, it's Rogers and it's not going to be ours, so who gives a shit anyway? Because it's not going to be a problem it's for a us to find It's a purely hypothetical question, this yeah, one. Yeah, I generally hate hypotheticals, but occasionally I'll buy into one. Robbie McGregor, he can have his question answered, Will, because he says... Excellent podcast you guys have. Oh, you're a good bloke, Robbie. He's he's learning how to play the game here. This is very good. Well played, <laughs> Robbie. He asks, what happened to Paul Morris's 2001 Calder winning Big Kev Commodore? Well, that car is at the National Motor Racing Museum at the moment. But it, don't go looking for a Big Kev. No, no. Do not look for a bright yellow Commodore. Um, that car started its life as a Holden Racing Team Commodore. It was the car that... Craig Lowndes and Mark Scaife raced in the 1998 FAI 1000, and that's the livery that it is now in. It has been restored back to it. It's been in that condition for, for quite some time, and mm. it's lived at the museum for, for quite a bit of time too. So, yeah, that car's still around. Don't forget to, National Motor Racing Museum, open over the holiday season, open over the course of January. Uh, they're open every day except Tuesdays, but check the Museum's Bathurst website or the Museum's Facebook page so you've got the latest opening times and you don't lob when the doors don't open because... That's awkward. Yeah, that's awkward. Uh, i tell you what also is... Well, it's not awkward. It's good news. Um, should we let some cats out of bags for what's going to happen in about three or four weeks' time? Oh, we can probably give, give a bit of a subtle nod as to what, what people can expect. Not away. Um, we may be we may be opening for pre-orders a certain book that this car may, may feature in. <laughs> Nicely played there. You gave a little bit without giving too much. Well done. Well played. Anyway, let's move along and leave people to marinate with that one. <laughs> uh, Kieran Andrew was watching the Eastern Creek round from 2004. This is a good one. He noticed that the two Triple Eight cars had no Larry bars. He said the John Briggs cars they took over both had Larry bars, so why were they taken out? Well, they weren't taken out because they were separate cars. As mm. we talked about earlier, Triple uh, Eight built brand new cars for 04, but I have never stopped to consider... I've never I've seen plenty of photos. It's never occurred to me that they didn't have a Larry bar in them. Yeah, no, I was I was looking through pics of it today after after seeing just, this just question to confirm come through. it was correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, the only thing I, again, I have no idea why that would be, but the only thing I can think of is that when Triple Eight came in, they did a lot of their own engineering work. You remember they um, had their own parts developed in terms of uprights and they did their own engine program. They did a lot of things that unfortunately didn't end up working out. And I'm going to assume that maybe this is one of those things that they tried. They figure, well, there may have been a better way of doing it. They may have not seen the benefits of doing it and then later realised there was a benefit to doing it. That's my guess. I don't know that for certain. We know that they had them in for 05 because Lounsey was saved at Bathurst when Correct. Port Umbrella had that wheel bounce off after he hit the wall in the Castro Commodore. Ludo would be the man to ask for that. Oh, he'd know. And, of course, for 2023, we're doing a triple A book. So are we allowed to talk to Ludo? 
Now that he works for DJR, if we're doing a triple eight book. We'll see if he answers the phone. Yeah, yeah, we'll give it a try. But I think that's a question for Ludo to get to the bottom of. Uh, maybe one we can uh, sleuth a little next year when we're next at a track. Jordan Northcote, uh, he's asking about Jason Richards. Of course, we did an episode on JR a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the car that he put on pole in Darwin, which was 2009, the BOC Commodore, an ex-HRT car, where is it now? Well, the good news is it's still around. It was a Jones car then. It's a Jones car now, but it's just not the same. <laughs> yes, it's with the Jones family in Queensland. Of course, Harry Jones racing a bit of – doing a bit of Porsche racing. Doing a lot of Porsche doing racing. Doing a lot of Porsche racing. Very good at it too. Yeah, yeah. Um, he actually had a steer in this car at Phillip Island Historics a little while back, so it's out and about and, um, yeah, still in good nick. Part of the Jones uh, family collection in Queensland. It is back in its HRT Todd Kelly 22 colours and, and livery. I think it might have the H pattern in it too from my memory of how it ran when uh, Todd raced it in 07. Of course, the sequential came in in 08, which yes. by that stage, this car was off at Brad Jones Racing. It only did the one year with HRT and it was was Todd's car predominantly through the course of that year. Brad Katnich, whatever happened to the Paul Romano VRVS Commodore, started life as the Longhurst B&H car, right? I said, yeah, that's right. Uh, And what about the pack leader Falcons rolling into SBR in 97? Was a nice, easy question. That car, the um, Commodore is still with the Romano. It's a very easy yeah. answer. Yeah, that was an easy one to research for the um, Perkins Engineering it, book. It hasn't been seen for basically 20 years. Mm. 2001 is the last time it raced, I think, at Albert Park from memory. Did a lot of racing over its life, that car, with only two owners. Too. <laughs> um, and the pack leader Falcons from 1996 did roll into 1997 with well it wasn't stone brothers racing at that point it was still alan jones racing it wasn't until the end of the year that aj sold out to the brothers stone um of course one was used by aj and the other one was in mitre 10 colors for mark larkham yeah i think that's the one that he had the big one in at phillip island at the mm. start of 97 and um, then he moved into a different mm, there was another car yeah. that was built up after that so yeah but all of those cars are still um Around, and of course, the pack leader, Alan Jones, 301 car that became the Komatsu car, was the Bathurst winner yes. in 98. So, yeah. uh, from barbecue to Bathurst victory. There's the headline yes. if we ever do a book on Bathurst winning cars. That's a job done. I'm just here to help. What can I say? Or if we do a Stone Brothers book. Or both, yeah. Next question from Riley Curtis. What happened to the Miles Racing cars from the 2011 Fujitsu series? I did their liveries and I've been curious to know where they ended up. Good question, Riley. That's yeah. one that people haven't thought about for a while. Uh, Miles Racing ran in the development series. They gave Chaz Mostert his start in supercars late 2010. But uh, in 2011, Chaz and Ash Walsh were the two drivers in the Simpro Fords, as you might remember. Mm. Yellow and a bit of white and a bit of black, I think, as well. Um, Chaz's car, of course, Chaz went to FPR before the end of that 2011 year. That car is in a private collection. It's back in its Vodafone. Triple Eight Craig Lowndes colours that it ran a couple of years earlier, and the Ash Walsh car is Shane Hunt Super Three car. You might remember it's in a, it's like a better electrical looking livery, but yes. not with all the stickers over it. Um, haven't seen Shane for a little while, but uh, that car's been a regular. What was the Kumo series and did a bit of Super Three a couple of years ago as well. Next question's from Sam K. Now, I saw this question come up, and I didn't know that this had happened, so I'm mm. very excited to- I he- think there's YouTube vision to yeah, prove it, too. Yeah, sure, sure there would be. Uh, he wants to know about the history of the Turbo Barra-swapped Jose Fernandez BABF Falcon from World Time Attack in either 2010 or 2011. He's not too sure. He's heard that it was a Brightec car originally, but was unsure of its previous history and what's happened to it since. Now, I'd never heard of a V8 supercar getting swapped out. 
getting its V8 engine swapped out mm. for a um, Turbo 6. Yeah, so th- this was a Brightech car. He's correct in that respect. But it was always a Brightech car. It was not one of the ex-FPR cars that that team acquired. Remember that they, when they started, Jason Bright went to drive for FPR mm. and the team Brightech bought two FPR cars that they virtually rebuilt, restripped, did all sorts of things too. In fact, they relabeled them as BM cars, Brightech Motorsport. Mm. But this car that he's talking about was a new bike drove in 08. Yes. I think it started a couple of rounds in. It was a bit delayed for coming on stream. The last it, year of standalone Brightech. Yeah, because the next year he went and drove a car that ran out of Stone Brothers with that lurid green lime. It's uh, impossible Fuji- to miss. Fujitsu livery. Yeah, exactly right. So that's the car we're talking about. Uh, and, of course, Brighty went off to race for Brad Jones after that. I think he spent a year with it parked in his garage at his house <laughs> because he sold off the team and the factory was gone. So you had to put it somewhere. You know, when you've got a spare race car, where do you do it? You put Not it in the dining garage. room. Yeah. No, no, you, you put it there. So I think Jose got it in 2010 from my memory, and they put a 700-horsepower Turbo 6 in it and ran it in the World Time Attack at Sydney Motorsport Park, which I think was still Eastern Creek then. It was just before the SMP. Yeah. Swap over. Um, it does have a V8 back in it now. It's now a Super 3 car with Mark Tracy from up Aubrey Way, and he's put it back in the Brightech Fujitsu base colours, that like light blue and white um, livery that Brighty ran in 08. And I think the last time we saw him was in Super 3 last year from my memory. So, yeah, that car's still around, and it's – I can't think of too many other supercars that have had – Six-cylinder turbo engines <laughs> no. in them, or done World Time Attack as well. So that's a, a rarity in supercars, but Sam's memory and knowledge is pretty much on the money right there. Absolutely. Uh, next question from Dale Sharp. The v- he wants to know about the VX Commodore that Jamie Wincup made his debut in at the 2002 Queensland 500, driving with Max Dumsney, where that car has ended up. It's in the same place as the Paul Morris Big Kev car. But go. like the Big Kev car, it is on display there, but in a different livery and spec to what you would be looking for it to be. Would this be the GRM car that's basically done a lap of the racetracks of the world? And it has the graphics on the bonnet to prove it. That's the Melrose, Nürburgring, Dubai, Spa, etc., etc. Uh, overseas Commodore. That's the, the car that Jamie Winkup drove in 02. That was his debut with Max Dumsney. Remember, though, that Max didn't drive at Bathurst. They put Mark Noski in and... Jamie crashed it. He got a little fatigued and he was a young bloke and he fired into the fence at the top of Mountain Straight. That was the car that Bugs went over on his head on in 2002 at Phillip Island. Oh, of course. Rebuilt and ready for the next round. It's the car that won the Gold Coast with Bugs that year, the first year that they gave points on the Gold Coast for supercars. Um, GRM actually kept it for the next year because that was Jamie's car. Remember, he drove a VX when he joined full-time and Garth drove a VY. Yes. That stayed as Jamie's car until he got a VY for the very last round of the championship. GRM converted this car but never raced it as a VZ. They did, though, use it as a pit stop practice car for a bit of a time before Melrose ended up doing a deal to buy it and, as you say, has gone on this amazing journey of racing it overseas in some of these really classic tracks and classic endurance races. And I mean, it's the only V8 supercar to ever race in the Bathurst 12-hour because it was in the Invitational class back in 2013. But it's sitting up at the museum at Bathurst to uh, to have a look at. So yeah, it's an interesting piece. That's where Jamie Winkup's V8 supercar career totally began. That's which amazing. Is, which yeah. is pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Although the car doesn't look anything like it did no. back in those days, it's covered plenty of miles since then, that's for sure. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online. 
Thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. Well, we had so many questions last week, we couldn't get to them all. So I thought we would add some more questions. And these ones came from Instagram over the last five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten days. So let's go through them fast. Let's do like rapid fire. Remember Fast Money, Sale of the Century spec? <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah, good. You're not yeah. that old. That's, no, that's right. You're Tony old Barber. Enough. You're yeah. old enough. Uh, creative Options on Instagram. We know Creative Options. They do some mm. nice work. Why aren't the chassis built in the V8-only era of competition? That's from 93 onwards. Why are they not considered Gen 1, making Project Blueprint Gen 2, Car of the Future Gen 3, and next the new cars Gen 4? I reckon no one thought of that at the time. I think, I think that is the simple answer. It just wasn't considered. NASCAR simple. did do a good job of that, but they kind of retrofitted it, didn't they? I remember seeing a beautiful graphic that they did uh, outlining the generation of eras of cars. They had mm. the car of tomorrow. Uh, they well, that, that of- was a key thing. They went with car of tomorrow and then retrospectively worked out what they were. Yeah, the gen numbers to yeah. go back through. And, I mean, we've got that with series production, improved production, group A, group C. V8, five litre yeah. V8 supercars. So I think that's a, that's a simple answer. No one really thought about it. And the gen kind of starts from um, the gen two off Car of the Future because there wasn't really a gen one. So uh, ne- we've yeah. Next question from Shannon Lambert, our trivia winner from 2020, if I recall correctly. Uh, is it time to drop the minimum stop requirement for Bathurst? It was yes. brought in for the. <laughs> that was a short <laughs> I'll show. I'll the yeah. rest of it. <laughs> Agree? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's no more Mercs. There's no more Nissans. There's no more Volvos. The engines are as close as they're going to be. Yes, you'll have to find a way to stop teams from save them from their from themselves with leaning things off and doing all that sort of stuff. But and drivers from doing it as well. Yeah, but seriously, I mean, regulating. We live in a regulated world. It's regulated enough. The category, the engines are so similar in performance. Just let them run. Let them race. Next question from. User Instagram user O'Brien ninety five. I like the look on your face when you go to read these. I was expecting a name. Yeah. Um, Why did Gibson Motorsports struggle so much in the mid nineties to find sponsorship after the tobacco ban? They dominated in the R thirty two and then won a championship a year after switching to Holden. Was there something going on behind the scenes? No, I reckon it was just a really tough market. Olympic Games in nineteen ninety six in Atlanta. Sydney was coming in two thousand. Pretty t- The other thing was, the TV was shithouse. Yeah. I mean, 1996, the last year on Seven was- Late night late replays. Nights. Yeah, it was not pretty. It was not pretty. So, all of those things combined. And, of course, they'd had tobacco money since 92 and Nissan factory money before that too. Mm. So, what they were used to having in their budget to do the job was massively different to what was possible after that. So, I think all those things came together and that's why they ended up- where they ended up. Uh, Matter Drum, another user on Instagram. These are all Instagram, by the way. What's the history behind the VX Commodores that the Lansvale team raced and where did they end up? Well, they were their own cars. Paris mm. got built those chassis for them, but they, were, they weren't they were ex-other team cars. They were Lansvale, Lansvale cars. Yeah, one went on to be the K2 HSV ride car. That's right, the silver thing. And was later um, Brendan Strong's Kumo series car. That's right, yep. And the other is, with, as far as we know, is with a Victorian collector. Yes, we cannot reveal his name, though. Maybe one day we will. He's not a Maybe dentist or something, is he? Uh, no, no, We no, can't no, no. show you his face. 
Do that again. We can't show you his face. I didn't think you'd do that. Uh, speaking of collectors too, a quick plug and a quick shout out to Luke at the motorsporttrader.com.au. Came on board with the podcast during the year. They're doing an awesome job, those guys and girls, with their uh, with their business. They're selling motorsport memorabilia, panels, race suits, all sorts of cool and interesting stuff. Have a look at their website. Have a look at their socials. They've always got something popping up there, whether they're selling it direct, on consignment. There's some really cool stuff. Head to the motorsporttrader.com.au. Uh, D Van Dam 21. Uh, I'm not sure if that's uh, a uh, Jean Claude fan Jean-Claude's or not. Jean brother, David, isn't it? David Van Dam. Yeah. Uh, this is a cracking question. Where will Craig Lowndes drive in the 2022 Bathurst 1000? Now, the, the obvious answer here is triple eight, but. There's a wrinkle in this that I didn't appreciate until until a little while ago that he's out of contract at the end of 2021. As far as we're aware, the last time they announced a Craig Lowndes contract was at the end, late in 19. Mm. And it said specifically, and you can look it up online, it was to the end of 2021. So I don't know if they've quietly renewed him and we don't know. Don't know if they're still working through it. But that's it puts a little bit of doubt in my mind here. Like, where does Craig... Oh, triple eight. It's the obvious answer. Yes. If Jamie Winkup doesn't drive, obvious answer. Yes. If Jamie Winkup does drive, super cheap, clearly you're interested in a wild card. They ran it this year. There's some chat getting around that they're keen to do it. Lowndes would be the perfect, you know, figurehead for it. Absolutely. But who's he going to drive with? It's going to be up to scratch question. to be able to make him a contender to win the race. They're not exactly long on options for that for that role, are they? Well, not obvious ones. No. There might be a few behind the scenes that we just That's don't true. know about, which these teams always have a, an ace up their sleeve. But I would expect he'll be at Triple Eight in something. But I, there's a, I've got a little question mark in the back of my brain because if he was, surely if he was re-signed, mm-hmm. wouldn't you announce it and take him out of the silly season mixture? Okay. Or so is, it, is anybody else even stopping to think about this now? So devil's advocate, if Craig, for whatever reason, wasn't with Triple Eight next year in a co-driver role, where does he pop up? Where could he pop up? Because there's one very obvious seat that has just become vacant. Are you saying that the kid could go home? Well, if he's not at Triple Eight, again, look at look at where the options are. A pretty clear one is the number twenty five car that won Bathurst this year of Chas Mostert and Walkinshaw oh. Andretti United. <laughs> Will Dale, that's a big one. Craig oh. Loud's back to Walkinshaw's? I'm not saying it will happen. I'm just saying- It's an interesting prospect, if though. If he's not at Triple Eight, where would you put him? Where could he go? Where would he want to go? Well, that's true. And it's an interesting one. We've seen some commentary in recent times. I think Conor O'Brien did a piece on Speed Cafe recently saying that Walkinshaw's had to be bold for their endurance replacement for Lee Holdsworth. That'd be bold. That'd be very bold. That'd be kitchen sink bold to go and throw- what would it take to get Craig Lance to come and drive for you? It's such an interesting one. And look, what we're saying here might completely mean nothing because he may have re-signed and it's all done and it's just not announced. So <laughs> Imagine if a release came out between us recording this and it. Fair chance it probably will then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's just an interesting concept and prospect because he's so welded at Triple Eight. He's been part of the furniture there since 2005. Mm. That's a very, very long time. But um, if Lounsey's... Oh, do you kind of think how many more Bathurst has Lounsey got in him? He did, did he go right two this more, year. three more. Yeah, at, at the very least next year, probably the year after. Then maybe we nearly see. fifty by that stage. But age is not a number. It's a number, <laughs> but it doesn't define. The stopwatch doesn't know how old you are. That's true. That's, That's true. Sorry, the, Do- the Dorian and that soft don't know how old you are. <laughs> 
Dorian, of course, is the, uh, the Titan Beacon and yeah. Transponder, and Natsoft is the website where uh, the results live for those who are not wondering. But anyway, it's a really interesting question. Um, having said all of that, probably nothing changes, but nevertheless, it's a topic to have a look at early in the new year to see what's announced or not announced in various places. GC Swan asks, what's a day... <laughs> what does GC stand for, by the way? That's a, that's a question for GC. Um, Gary Collin, I'm guessing. <laughs> Gary Collin Swan. What's a day in the life of the sleuth or a sleuth employee like? Varied. Yeah, that's, that is probably varied. the best description of it. There is no normal day here, is there? No, it's really. um, all over the place makes it is sort of- um, Makes it makes sound, sound unorganised. Yeah, which is not the case. It's just we do an awful lot of different things. Yeah, there's- I mean, I'm probably doing less in the way of writing these days, mm. um, managing the ship, keeping it all steering along, managing our partnerships and our relationships- Yourself and Stefan punching out website stories, writing books. Doing podcasts um, like these. Podcasts. Yeah, it's a bit of very You know, we do a lot of work for private clients on their histories of their race cars. We have our image archive that people are looking for imagery from. We do stats for supercars and television and teams. So there's a bit of everything. And then there's always something from left field that we get asked or a project that comes across True. our desk. So, um it's really wide, really varied, and no two days are really ever the same, really. Mm. No, totally agreed. That's a very accurate description of how it all works here. I want to hear you say who the next one's from. Oh, you mean Nate Chop Chop? Times two. He's got two questions here because I'll let him have two because they were both Oh, he does good. too. Yeah, yeah, I didn't look so, that far down the list. So, did the shell of the Greens Tough Crash get sent to the wreckers after the Bathurst Crash or was it salvageable? Well, Nate Chop Chop, it indeed get cho- chop, got chopped. chopped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was trying to set that up. Yeah. Uh, but we got there. Uh, yeah, chopped up, um, crushed, in fact. And you can get a little bit of memorabilia of that car in the actual um, – didn't they They crush up little sort of box-type things that you could buy from – it was the opening of a Sims medal in Queensland. Yes. And you can buy a paperweights. squash paperweight yeah. that's green of – what's left of that car. Yeah, correct. They the only pa- on eBay sometimes. Yeah, they do. The only panels that didn't go through were a couple of the doors, one of which I believe the Johnson family has and the other was auctioned a little, a couple of years ago and went for quite a, a sizable sum. Yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. The other one, and this mm. is a common one, whatever happened to the Volvo wagon that Brock drove? Now, this is a really, really common question we get and it's commonly not quite right. Yeah, Brock never actually drove the wagon, either in Super Touring or in the um, production touring that he did with Volvo in 94 or 95. Tony Sedans Scott did. Yeah. Tony Scott raced the wagon in 95, and then Brock came in 96 to run the sedan, which came out from the UK. Hmm. So the, the wagon, um, we'll cover them both. The wagon went back overseas. It was a British touring car car from 94. The Brock Red Volvo, which was a, an 850 from the 95 Championship, I've always read that that was a Ricard Rydell car. I don't know exactly which one it was, how many they had. I think they had four or five or something. But For he and Tim Harvey. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, but that car's in the UK in the livery that it last raced, which was 97 Tony Scott at Amaru in the last mm. round of the BOC series. It's in the UK uh, with a private collector, so that would be a cool car. You know, that front-wheel drive, five-cylinder TWR built and developed, Brock driven, Jim Richards driven at Bathurst. Mm. Yeah, that'd be a that'd be a cool thing, I reckon. And, yeah. and of course, Jan Flash Nielsen. Ah, yes, at Bathurst the in Flash. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, they're still around. Nate, by the way, if, is the answer. 
Brock Holder asks, how were sequential boxes initially received when they were first introduced in the series, as well as your personal opinion at the time? I was about four, so that went completely <laughs> over my head. Are you sure it's Brock Holder or B. Rock Holder? Well, it could be B. Rock could Holder. Be uh, I don't remember there being anywhere near the level of animosity as there's been over the Gen 3 paddle shift and stick shift debate. Oh, there was no social media back Correct, then. Correct, but- I remember that sequential boxes had been on the radar for the category for a while. Mm. If you go back through the magazines, you'll find in the mid-90s teams were talking about it. Mm. And they're talking about it mainly from saving engine over revs was their big thing. So It's it's funny how it's the same issue that keeps coming up, isn't it? it, Yeah. And and some drivers stuck with the H pattern. It came in in 08 from the start Mm. of the year. Some stuck – I mean, Scaife stuck with H and Tander went straight to sequential because he was – uh, starting at HRT, he'd driven the Monaro 24-hour car, hmm. so he had a bit of familiarity, and he figured that, well, we're all going to end up using them anyway, so you may as well do it from the start. Yeah. So, uh, But I don't remember this. I remember there being per- – because there was choice then. That was the difference. You could run one or the other. But, of course, what we're talking about for Gen 3, we're not talking about choice. We're talking about one or the other. Albeit, I think it sounds like – We've pretty much solved that debate of what's going to happen with it. But, no, certainly not the massive, massive flame-up that we've had with the Gen 3 gear shift stuff. Absolutely. Uh, Rob Kingston, is there time in your schedules to fit in any four- or two-wheel projects of your own? If there is, what is it? And if there isn't, what would it be? Uh, it's it's not just time. It's also, um, it's cash. also cash. <laughs> it's cash. A, it's a two-legged problem, Rob. Um. I'm not actually sure. It's something I've never really thought about, to be honest, as I lack the skills to um, do anything to four or two-wheeled objects. I wouldn't mind owning a collectible race car. That's probably where I oh, would yeah. be on it. No, I totally agree. Yeah, I'd be I'd be up for something like that. Probably something that's not mega expensive, something that could be a nice display piece. I don't have a hankering to want to drive anything or race anything. Um but I'd like to have something that I can say I own it. It's mine. My name's in the logbook and mm. it's a cool thing. I nearly bought a race car last year. Mm. I won't say what, but it was a Bathurst winning car. Not a 1,000 winning car, but um, it won a, a support race. A V8 engine car that yeah. had won at Bathurst. Yeah, people can try to figure say. that out. I should have bought that. That would have been a very cool thing. Yeah. Uh, but I, I reckon... Yeah, I, that's probably me. I reckon it makes sense with what we do as well. Oh, yeah. now, now you mention it, like if I ever if I ever won the lotto, which I don't exactly enter the lotto, so it's this is <laughs> well, a fair purely hypothetical one, um, and and won a substantial enough sum, I would <laughs> I would buy the um, 05 Brock VK that's available, <laughs> and it would disappear from public view for a while. And then it would mysteriously appear at the National Motor Racing Museum alongside the other one, but it would now have 25 on it. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So, if that ever happens- um, You you know that we'll won the lotto. Yeah. (laughs) Or someone else listened to this podcast. Or or someone else has had the same idea. Rowan Saxby has asked a very important question here. And given the season we are within, the festive season, the Christmas New Year break- is Die Hard a Christmas movie? I yep. vote yes. 100% yes. I'm with you too. Set at Christmas, occurs during Christmas, it is a Christmas movie. yippee ki you know what. Yes. Uh, Holden 7086 or 7086, you can take it whichever way. Could GT cars ever be more popular than our supercars Chevy V Ford? How many brands are in GT? Imagine the cars at Bathurst at every track instead of the supercars. It's a formula raced all over the world. 
short answer for me, no. If it was if it was going to be more it popular, would be. it would have been by now. Yep. Agreed totally. GT racing has had a lot of different cracks at it over the years. The Bathurst 12 hour is a fantastic event, don't get me wrong. Um, but it's hard to see how that how GT racing as a regular thing would surpass what's coming up with Gen 3. GT racing is a customer sport racing category. Mm. It's based off and lives off wealthy amateur drivers paired with professionals. It's run by cars are run by preparation houses. They don't build them. They virtually, you know, order the parts from Audi or McLaren or mm. BMW or whoever it might be, Porsche, Ferrari. Um, they're in essence kit cars, really. There's no manufacturing. So if you went GT, you'd put a lot of people out of work in race teams in Australia in terms of supercars. If yes. you made GT cars, supercars. So we've seen DTM go to GT cars. They had to because yeah, they were kind necessity. of necessity. Yeah, they screwed. didn't have anything else they could but race. Yeah, we've got an option. So I think we're our option is better than that. But it's, you know, always open to possibilities and ideas. Uh, Jake Maxwell, how do we think Bryce Fullwood will fare at Brad Jones Racing next year? They have a they have a knack of doing very well with young drivers and helping them come through. Like Todd Hazelwood had a pole position or two with BJR. Um, I think I think he does. He's very talented. It's I think it, he's unlucky. He's unlucky to be where he's at. Well, look at who he's gone up against. He went up against Chaz. Yeah, you, that's but, a that's a bit of a hiding to it to nothing as a rookie because we know how good Chaz is. Yeah, I, I just feel. He he had his lull this year at the worst time. Yes, when he went missing in the early part of the year, and and it was in that Walkinshaw documentary, wasn't it? Um, Tassie, where he just looked perplexed, he looked lost. But he, I mean, the guy finished fifth at Bathurst and drove genuinely well. Yeah, he's clearly talented. We saw him on the podium at the Bend last year. I think he'll go fine at BJR. I mm. mean, it's a new BJR for next year. Ooh, They've yes. lost a lot of people. It's a big change. It's a new evolution of the team. Uh, Andre Heimgartner going there, Bryce. I mean, I, I reckon Bryce is capable of doing what Todd Hazelwood did in that car and make it a regular top 10 runner that on its day can run top five. Um, there's nothing to say he shouldn't finish in the top 15 in the championship easily. Oh, no, I would agree. The potential's there. Mm. Gory, 21-12 or 2-1-1-2, depending on which way you look at it. Chew one chew. It's the cricket season. We've got to get into that. Should Bathurst be the grand final of the supercar season? Now, my initial instinct after having now experienced on the ground a Bathurst that was the grand final of the season is to say yes. But there's one thing that stops me from wanting this to be a permanent thing. And it's the fact that I feel like the actual champion sort of got glossed over in mm-hmm. the fact that we had a Bathurst winner. I'm with you. I'm with you. I reckon Bathurst is big enough and bad enough and awesome enough to sit on its own. It's the thing. It's the win. Yeah. Although, Van Gis- see, the other thing was, had the championship fight been alive in that race, as in close, mm. and oh, it didn't need a mathematical amazing possible scenario of things happening for him to lose it, then it might have felt a bit different, but we already knew that he was winning it. So- but, you've, but you've still got, unless the same driver wins Bathurst and wins the championship, yeah. you've got a weird split dynamic there where you're trying to celebrate two things and the guy, the person that wins the championship may also be a little disappointed that they didn't win Bathurst. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, Shane had a, you know, 
a tire failure and, and wobbled home, you know, position nowhere. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so he didn't get to really celebrate at Sydney because of the way that all unfolded. Yeah. And then he doesn't really get to celebrate at Bathurst. So I feel like the calendar robbed him. Yeah. Uh, I did a rip of burnout, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but no one was there to see it. Though. Uh, oh, which one? Yeah. Sydney or Bathurst? Bathurst. Oh, yeah, that was good. Yeah, yeah. That Sydney, was no one good. saw. Yeah. Uh, but I, I agree. Let's make Bathurst. Although I, I understand from a lot of perspective, that would be the great way. The positive is, when the championship finishes, that's the great flavour to leave in people's mouths as the parting gift of that year, mm. to go off into the off-season, buoyant from an amazing Bathurst, which it's always amazing, and then we come back and do it again. But obviously, I, I think that the scales are weighted to what you've said, and I agree that, yeah, I think we have it almost at the end of the championship, yeah, but not quite the absolute end of the championship. Essentially um, how we've had it the last yeah. X number of yeah. years prior to the so, last couple. Adelaide, final round, you'd be up for that? I would totally be up for that. Log it in, Eddie. Will says yes. Yes. Oh. Who's Scott Green? <laughs> I don't know. Who's Scott Green? <laughs> oh, that's excellent. Any chance there will be any more cart slash indie related content like books or pods with the new acquisition of Shazzy Info? Cart in the late 90s, early 2000s was hard to beat. Uh, yeah, uh, pods, absolutely. I reckon we'll do a Gold Coast Indie Pod next year. Yeah, fair chance Plenty that's going to happen. Um, book, I can't imagine it being the case. Not at the moment, anyway. Mm. But We've got a bit on. Yeah, we've got a bit on, um, and there's an awful amount of content. I'm not sure the market's big enough, even in the US, to have a book with all of that stuff into it, but... We've already had interest from a lot of private car collector owners who are interested in knowing a bit more about their actual cars. So, look, one day that'd be nice, but I don't see it being a thing. But you'll see more content on our website in future of champ cars and cart cars that we find over the journey and the cool stuff that's laying around. So, yeah, there'll be a bit of stuff. And, yeah, most certainly a a podcast. I'd love to chat to some cart drivers and have them on as guests to our pod. Mm. I mean, we've done a few overseas people in recent times. I'd love to get Jimmy Vassar. No, he had a steer of a V8 supercar. Did, Frosty's AU at um, the Gold Coast one year. Um, I mean, there's a bunch of them who came and did the Gold Coast 600 during that time that that was running. Graham Rahal, Marco Andretti. Bourdais. Bourdais was a superstar with Jamie Winkup in there. Uh, you know, there was a bunch of those guys. Uh, Gilles de Ferran. Remember oh, he yes. ran? Yeah. I think that's the last race he ever did just about. Yeah. No, that would, that would add up. Yeah. yeah, there was a pretty good turnout of guys in that. That period. So I'd, I'd love to chat to some of those guys next year for sure. Plato27 asks, and this is our last question, what was the catalyst for Larry Perkins to leave the Holden dealer team and drive for Dick Johnson at Bathurst in 85? It's quite a big defection, but I can't ever remember reading or hearing why. Well, it wasn't actually a defection. Mm. It was more that Perkins left the Holden dealer team. and <laughs> Polarizer. Yes. Yeah. It was a, um, it was a disagreement over Larry having um, complete... Um, What's the word that I'm looking for? Basically, complete rule over the preparation of the cars. I.e., he didn't want polarizers in them. It wasn't something he wanted to put in the car, and it was getting put in the car. Mm. So, fair enough. But it was Brock's car. So, in the end, they divorced. But it wasn't like he left to go to Dick Johnson. No. He left to leave. Gap. Hey, uh, what are you doing for Bathurst, mate? Uh, You want to have a driver Mustang? Okay. Yeah. It was exactly that. And that it was something actually talked to Larry about when we were doing the um, Perkins Engineering book because I was curious as to how it all came together. And he said, yeah, Dick was looking for a co-driver. I was available. So, yeah. We did deal. Yeah. Job done. Job done. Speaking of job done for questions, that's job done for the year. The podcast is over. 
It sounds really bad when you say it like that, doesn't it? Over for now. Over for now. <laughs> well, this gonna- episode 174 is over. The V8 Sleuth podcast, powered by Repco, was not over. No, no, no. We will be back uh, next year. We've got a bunch of great guests that we've um, already teed up to have a chat to. There's a few more that I'm going to hunt down when we come back from holidays. We've got some great... Uh, episodes like the Gold Coast Indy stuff. We'll talk some categories and some more specific race cars. Our classic car episodes are always popular. We'll always do Q&A because there's always lots of questions that we can either give answers to or ponder answers to or say that we don't have answers to yeah. uh, along the way. We're honest people like that. Yeah, yeah probably too honest sometimes, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, that's a lot of honesty in one sentence. Honestly. But, uh, honestly. Honestly. When we'll be back in January, we'll tell you via our socials, the website. So never fear, we will be back in 2022. Or if you don't already subscribe, and I think this is the point you're about to make. Correct way. Subscribe, and you will be notified when the next episode comes out. It's the wonder of technology and mobile phones and all that sort of stuff. If you subscribe to the podcast through whether you listen via Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever, you'll get a notification when every new episode goes up. So you'll know when we're back. But if you're fretting and you're worried, check the website, check our socials. We will be back next year. Got to say a massive thank you to everybody. A massive thank you to Will, who's done a great job, not just behind the microphone, but on the editing suite in between as well, cutting out my mistakes and uh, making me sound good. So thank you. Do you mean leaving in your mistakes and cutting out mine? No, 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 not at all, not at all, not at all. No, no, didn't say it, didn't say it. Thank you to all of our guests as well along the way. It's been another tough year in terms of not being able to go and see a lot of them. We've had to do them on Zoom and online, which has kind of become the new norm. But thank you to all of our guests who took the time to sit down and have a chat and talk about, in some cases, some very difficult discussion points and parts of their career and their lives that um, they might not talk about uh, too often. So thank you again to everybody for being involved. Thank you to Repco for your backing too this year. They've done a lot of great things for Australian motorsport and supercars this year. We're thrilled to have them back with us for next year. Uh, But in the meantime, thank you very much for listening. Have a safe and enjoyable end to 2021. We hope that 2022 races on in. We can all get this world back to a little bit of normality. But the thing that will be normal is our podcast. It will return next year. In the meantime, though, on behalf of Will and the whole team, I'm Aaron Noonan. We will chat to you in 2022. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out.